the holy name of Jesus, amen. Happy Pentecost. What is Grace Lutheran Church supposed to be all about? What is this place all about for you? What is this place all about for us as the body of Christ? Why are you here today? You could probably have a list of things that we do well and maybe things that need to be improved upon. Maybe you like the way this music is. Maybe you like the mission of the church that we've been given here. But it's always a good question to ask, especially in light of Pentecost. Pentecost is the birthday of the church. And Pentecost isn't quite a, frank, a precisely quaint story. The story of Acts chapter 2 today opens with a small group of believers isolating themselves in one place. And then things get sort of crazy with the violent wind, the voices, the languages, and the fire. But remember, all of that happened because they were all of one accord. That means that they believed in unity, every last one of them, in what Jesus had done. If you recall, on the night before he was, uh, the, the, the night after eight days of his resurrection, he, inter he interacts with Thomas, who doubted, and then he turns to his disciples and he says to them, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them, saying, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Jesus was ordaining his disciples into the ministry. And it should be noted that within every Lutheran pastor's life, as he is ordained on the first day he enters into this office, before there is that declaration of we ordain you or I ordain you, this quote from John's gospel is said over the pastor. If you forgive, they are forgiven. If they are retained, they are retained. Everything that happened in Pentecost in the first century of the church bears little resemblance to what the church has become in the 21st century today, though. There were no board meetings, vacation Bible school, ushers, or bake sales after the servant ser service. They didn't study and struggle with budgets, finances, and all sorts of committees. It can be hard to see any kind of resemblance between how the Christian church started and what we have become in the 21st century. The church today is all about you and your relationship with God, you and your individual faith walk, you and your struggles and your trials and your frustrations, you and how God can somehow improve your life. And yet all along we forget in many ways, I think even in here and across American Christianity, that the disciples were all of one accord. They were a body of believers. Whenever it was all about them individually, like Thomas, Peter, James, or John, what happened? They got in trouble. They messed it up. They didn't get things 
right. It can be hard to see any kind of resemblance today because we spend so much time, hours and hours and hours and days, quite frankly, on minor issues. And believe me, I as the pastor am guilty of that in the world's worst way. Yet how hard is it for us to come in and spend one hour and maybe 15 minutes or 20, let alone two hours or 45 minutes over in the social hall to open up and to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest God's holy word. In Sunday's word of God and his sacraments are always here for you. The only thing that I would say that we have in common with the first day of Pentecost is the work of the Holy Spirit and human beings, people. Those things have never changed. Pentecost today literally means for all of you and for me that we must take a step outside of ourselves. And we need to ask, what is this church all about? And what is the one holy Christian and apostolic church all about through the world? Sure, you can insert your favorite things, but none of this matters without people. Go back to the early church in Acts chapter 2. Go back to Luther and others. Luther never talks about boards, budgets, and worldly things that took precedence for us. Luther was all about the gospel. Therefore, let us all of Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter and the other apostles said, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. That passage happens right after the giving of the Holy Spirit. You notice that Peter, James, and John, and the other disciples didn't sit there and say, okay, we need to set up a constitution and bylaws. We need to set up a budget. We need to set up a ministry plan. We need to find a place to meet. We need to figure out what kind of mortgage we can afford, what kind of health insurance God's people will give us, Peter goes out immediately and speaks to the heart of what the church should all be about. We crucify the Lord of life by our sins. We have done things against God and against each other. We have found ourselves to be lost constantly each and every day of our life. And you'll notice what Peter says immediately. Confess your sins, change your ways, repent and be baptized with you, everyone, in the name of Jesus Christ. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. And not only is this for you, but your children and all who are far off. Maybe Peter was meaning in Acts chapter 2, even for those in Arkansas. Yes, indeed. That's what we are all about. That's where your birth comes into the life of the church, in holy baptism. 
That's what we have received, and that is what truly matters. When I first served in Charlotte, North Carolina at All Saints Lutheran Church, six months after I got there, the congregation decided that they wanted to relocate. It's nothing like 15 years of discussion, debate, angst, and frustration with each other, that they all of a sudden, after a three-and-a-half-year vacancy, get some bumbling man from Indiana as their new pastor, and he does not have any kind of worldly experience to his name. Six months after that I was there, they came in and said, we want to move. And all of a sudden now, I was saying, what have I gotten myself into? This isn't what I signed up for. How are we going to afford this? Where are we going to go? Who's going to be leading us in the way? We've got to sell the church and the parsonage that I just moved into. I've got all my boxes unpacked. Now I'm going to have to probably find a place to live on my own. Do you see how this swirls up, even in somebody like me? Where do you think the church did when we talked about this? They voted 95% in favor. Some were disgruntled, some were upset. We were able to find a building within six weeks. We were able to sell the parsonage. I had to find a moving, and a moving truck and a place to call my own. And we picked up everything and moved 15 miles south. 35 people a Sunday. $5,000 in our bank account. A mortgage they were taking on of $3,500 a month. And they went out and they asked me very plainly, Pastor, can you give us something, a Bible passage that we can use to lead us in this new endeavor? Maybe like Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples. And I said, that's a good thing to look at. That's a good thing to focus on. But let's go back to Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And it says later on there, the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. All I told them was, all we can do is preach and teach the Word of God and administer the sacraments. Well, Pastor, we've got to have 100 people a Sunday in a year to make sure that this is going to work. Pastor, we need to make sure that we can afford this budget. We only have $5,000 to our name, and we've taken on a budget of $495,000. Yeah, you think I don't know that? The first Sunday I sat in there in the pulpit, I really thought again, what have we done? But as we devoted ourselves to the simple yet powerful and effective things of God, his word and his sacraments, the congregation began to change. More and more people were moving into the area. We had 15,000 homes being built within a five-mile radius. We were a congregation that did everything like you see here today, liturgical, traditional, bunch of hymns and everything else, and we were in the middle of the Bible Belt. 
Jim and Tammy Faye Baker's compound was five miles away from where we were. What have we done? But that congregation, by the grace of God, moved forward, and it's still there today. They average about 160 in worship. They've expanded their building, and yet the last time I was down there a couple years ago to preach for their dedication, they told me we've always thought about Acts chapter 2, and they even put it on the wall. This is what the church is given to do in the birthday of the church. Christ, his word, preached and taught in his baptism and his supper. That is all the early church cared about, and that's what they were focused on day and night. Church wasn't once a week or once a month. It was every day. Jesus was calling, gathering, enlightening them, forgiving and restoring and feeding and strengthening them to live in this wild, unbelievable, and destructive world. And you and I are no different today. We're all human beings, the last I checked. And we're all dying in need of Christ every day. And that he must be for all. Everyone in this place and those who are outside of this place. Everyone that God has ordained that they receive breath and live. And so, as Jesus sends the Holy Spirit today, we are often reminded of what the scriptures describe as the Spirit. He is the comforter. He comes in the form of a dove. He is the wind. But also remember that the Holy Spirit is not a metaphor. The breath of God is his spirit. It's the breath of life that was breathed into Adam's nostril. It is the breath of life that was breathed on you into your baptism. The spirit does not come with warm chocolate chip cookies after church. He doesn't give us a night-night story kind of comfort. The spirit brings the absolute unquestionable truth the truth about my sin and your sin and the payment that Jesus Christ gave up for that in order that we might be forgiven, redeemed, and restored. The hard truth that Christ is the only way to salvation through his cross, his death, and resurrection. In reality, the Holy Spirit doesn't give us such a comforting message. He says literally that God must do surgery on you. The Lord kills and makes alive. Remember last week we heard from Ezekiel? I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He must kill and he must make us alive. Just as it happened to Jesus, it must happen to us as the law kills and the gospel makes us alive. And in your baptism... I keep talking about it. But be reminded of what Paul says in Romans. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ within me. If you have been buried with him by a baptism into death, so you have been raised with him to walk in the newness of his life. Because of the radical and mysterious thing that the Holy Spirit has been done, 
He forms you and me into the body of Christ. Another way that we can speak about this is as a family. The body gathered around our head and Savior Jesus Christ. Not individuals, but a body, a family. And if you think about your family, are you always walking around with puppy dogs and glitter? No. Sometimes you not get along. Yes. Sometimes you get agitated and annoyed with each other in your family. Yes. And sometimes it's the same even with us. That is why we all come together and say, if we say that we have no sin, we have deceived ourselves. Christ reunites and brings us of one accord around his forgiveness. And here's the final thing today. He will do this without me and without you. Sometimes despite us, sometimes against us, but always for us. As we re-examine what this is all about here today, it's the Holy Spirit who can only point us to Jesus who turns from us our death to life, from our heartless to our heartful. When I was in Milwaukee, the congregation decided to get into a long-range planning committee. We wanted to look at everything that we had in terms of our church of 900 members and our school of 200 kids. And we didn't know what the future looked like. So many questions, thoughts, and concerns. We brought in the mission and ministry facilitator from the South Wisconsin District. We brought in the brightest and the best, those people with all sorts of visions, missions, and values. We, they laid it all out at the table and this mission and ministry facilitator said to them, put it away. This must be laid at the feet of the congregation to have a discussion, but hear me out. No matter what you do with the church, with the school, with anything else, it must be focused on getting as many people as possible in front of word and sacrament. In other words, this, the gathering of God's holy people. But we're not sure about the school. We're not sure about doing evangelism in this progressive and diverse neighborhood. We're not sure after 125 years if we're doing things exactly right. No. And they were frustrated. But he simply said, quit making it complicated. Everything is about word and sacrament. And the same goes for us, whether it is on this side or that side of the bridge, whether it's VBS, whether it's anything else, every board committee, even including myself, needs to be focused on getting as many people in front of Jesus and his word and sacrament. As Philip told Nathan, come and see. And after that happens, we turn it over to the Holy Spirit who tells me and maybe you, get out of the way so I can do my work. So what does this mean for us? 
let us have a fervent and renewed focus on all things, focused on word and sacrament. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. It's messy. It's confusing. It's sometimes downright frightening because I and you always get in the way. But remember what Jesus told those huddled, that little band of believers, just 12 of them. Remember that he says this to you and me today. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his authority, but whatever he hears, he will say and declare to you the things to come. He will glorify me, take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said he would take what is mine and declare it to you. Everything that Jesus has done is focused on you. You are the apple of his eye. You are the one whom he has given the power of life over death. You are the one that he has called into this family so that we may continue on, yes, with uncertainty, yes, with our questions, our doubts, and maybe our fears, maybe even our frustrations, but yet we always go forward praying for guidance and the gift of the Holy Spirit who will remind you and tell you everything that Jesus has done for you. So happy Pentecost. Come Holy Spirit and kindle in us the fire of your love. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.